Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. And welcome back to another episode of Seriously. It's really nice to be back. I've been away for, it feels like, 10 years. Yeah, it does feel like a really long time. <laughs> but yeah, I've been in the States for two weeks, which was so nice. Because I've only been to the States once before, when I was literally 17 and on a school art trip. And like being ferried around to all these different museums mm. on a very tight three-day schedule. So I've got to thank all the Seriously listeners who gave me great recommendations of things to do. And my Twitter followers, especially Liz, who actually sent me a map a proper map of New York with suggested places on, which was amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was actually annotated with all of the places you needed to go. It was great. So while Anna's been away, you guys have been emailing in at a great rate, for which we are very, very grateful. We've had this one from Grace, who is 17 years old and is a Kiwi living in Sydney, Australia. She says, I just wanted to email and let you girls know that it makes my day listening to your podcast when I walk to school in the morning which is really, really sweet. Yeah, I always so like nice. to imagine what people are doing when they're listening to us. Yeah. It's quite nice. To like that of. girl who emailed us in like, I was listening in the bath as usual. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Great. Grace goes on. I also love Ali Smith. Yay. And wanted to know if either of you have read her novel, There But For There, and what you thought of it. I haven't. I haven't either. It's on my shelf, like looking at me, yeah. accusingly. It's, Why haven't you read me? I think the one I haven't read. Yeah, so. I need to read it. So yeah, Grace, we really need to get on that. Thank you for the reminder. And then this is my favourite part of the email. She says, my English teacher, Mr. Spillane, I think that's how you say it, sorry if it's not, is obsessed with all of her work and he's read everything she's written and he introduced me to this book to use for my English extension comparative and I loved it and I thought you both would too. Oh my god, great teacher. I love hearing about people's great teachers. That's so sweet. I like the idea that here's a like male English teacher talking to his young female students being like, read this woman, she's excellent because there's actually surprisingly little of that. In- yeah, big appreciation for Mr. Spillane in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. And thanks very much for your email, Grace. We've also had more emails in suggesting great male-female friendships, which is a feature that is long-running on the Seriously podcast. So thanks, Natalie, who sent in like seven. So I think we've accepted there are loads. There are loads. We were wrong. There are loads. (laughs) (laughs) And we've also heard from Lucy, who has sent a really, really heartwarming story about female friendship across the oceans. She's also hailing from Australia. She's just moved from Perth to Melbourne. She said basically she's very, very lonely. She's living in an apartment for the first time and the loneliness is crippling. 
I live pretty much smack bang in the middle of Melbourne's Little Italy and I've spent many a lonely moment walking to get a gelato and listening to an episode. Around the middle of last year, my best friend moved to Japan to teach English in a high school. She's also big on the Lonely Girl podcast listen on a pretty epic scale. I recommended Seriously and she's now also obsessed. The best thing about it for us is the way that you guys talk is so similar to how we used to talk when we had coffee together at uni. It somehow made us feel closer together while we're so far apart. That's so sweet. So nice. And she then says, now when we Skype each other, we give each other our Seriously-esque recommendations for the week. That's really, really great. Oh my God, how sweet. I love that email. I also really am pro the idea that loneliness can be remedied with a podcast and some ice cream. Yeah, definitely the right thing to be doing if you're feeling lonely. On a related note, while I was away, I started Olivia Lang's The Lonely City. Have you read that? I've read the first chapter. I am gripped by it. So was I. And I was really, really wanting to devour it. But then some political stuff that we're not really going to talk about on this podcast happened. And all my my reading time has been taken up. But I am about to go on holiday myself. So that's definitely, I'm definitely packing that. I think Lucy and her friend should read it because it's basically all about loneliness and she sort of goes in and out of talking about like paintings and books to her own life and just how that loneliness can be really consuming but in a way it's sort of quite optimistic as well so definitely check that out on to the first thing that we're going to talk about this week the great british sewing bee is a televised sewing competition on bbc2 with a similar structure and twee cheery tone to the great british (laughs) bake-off Each week, a group of sewers are given three sewing challenges and the least successful contestant is eliminated. I want a nice, bold strike. Nice, nice, nice. Oh, that would be amazing. So that's your skirt so far? We've made you panic. It's very hard not to panic. (laughs) It's sexy. Is she making you blush? Thread at the ready, the great British sewing bee is back. These mannequins are excited about being adorned with the trickiest garments yet. On BBC Two. I think if you've seen The Great British Bake Off, you've probably got a good idea of what the sewing bee is yeah, like. Yeah, well, they're repurposing that format for everything now. Did you see The Great Pottery Throwdown or whatever it was called? Where it, <laughs> yeah. was, it was basically the Bake Off, but with clay. Yeah, it, I think that The Great Pottery Throwdown as a phrase, I just love because it seems so full of like intense movement. And I mean, the show was quite like that. It was very intense. Yeah, this is like fronted by Claudia Winkleman. Love her as a presenter, actually. Love Claudia Winkleman. Very pro Winkleman. So it's been running for quite a long time, actually, The Sewing Bee. This is, I think, the fourth series. Mm. And it's still going strong, but there's been a big change this season, right? Yeah, so they've replaced one of the judges. The first three series, the judges were Patrick, I can't remember his second name, but Patrick, who is Uh, a... Patrick Sexyman? Patrick Hanselman, who uh, is a Savile Row tailor. (laughs) Also modelled by the gods, moulded with the hands of Zeus. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like a statue, like a classical Greek statue, but that walks and talks. And has the kind eyes of, you know, like a fatherly lawyer. Oh yeah, so lovely. Yeah, God, yeah, if you you had to have a a lawyer come and tell you that all your family had died and you'd inherited all of their possessions, you'd want it to be him. Yeah. Uh, And so until this season, it was a woman called May, who she's big in the Women's Institute, is that right? She tradition- Massive in the sewing universe. <laughs> Massive in the sewing universe. I think her name's May Martin. And my mum, who is very, very big into home sewing, knew all about her. Like, she's very, very well known. Okay. This is just not a, not a world that I'm part of. But May was great, I thought. She was a great presenter. 
but May is not doing it anymore and they've replaced her with Esme Young who is from Central St Martins the fashion college in London she looks like she's from St Martins she looks a lot like Edna from The Incredibles yeah she does but she's got like a streak of colour in her so she's got Mm. like a very good silvery grey bob and then she's got like a streak of red lipstick and all her clothes have got like a bit of a punch to them she's not like dressed all in black with a black bob her clothes are amazing there's a kind of like Grayson Perry-esque style to her like she's very into like bright colours and lots of patterns and collage and stuff she looks like art lecturers yeah she does I'm not sure about Esme as a judge I think she might be a bit stern I really liked her because oh, yeah I, I think maybe that there wasn't a very good cop bad cop mm. style thing they were both just really nice all the time but they knew bad sewing when they saw it so they'd be like we love your idea we love this fabric but the sewing sadly is just not quite up to standard whereas I feel like Esme is a little bit more like I don't understand why you've done why you've made these choices but she's not quite as into the technical stuff as May mm-hmm. was because which is why I watched the sewing bee right you and your mum for context <laughs> are both sewers and you know about sewing we are really into it and Um, you've made a variety of wonderful items that you wear like my favorite is the sort of the the cord dungaree dress which is just excellent which has lots of little buttons sewed onto it you can imagine it this is it's great uh i'm actually wearing a skirt that my mum made right now are you yes oh wow it's a good skirt uh yeah so me and my mum are very into making our own clothes and making clothes for other people and stuff and making curtains and patchwork quilts and all that kind of thing. And yeah, May was very good at being like, if you wanted to achieve this with this dress, you needed to have done X, which is kind of what I want from a sewing television programme. And she was quite good at being like, oh yeah, you haven't, you've not cut this fabric at the right angle. And yeah, Yeah, agreed. So I think maybe for the more general viewer, Esme is better. So they have three challenges each episode, right? And you have like two shorter ones and then like a really long, like five hour or plus Mm. exercise where they have to make either like an outfit or like a more complicated garment. So it's kind of analogous to the Bake Off style in that the first challenge is they get given a pattern for a particular thing and they all have to make the same thing, but from different fabrics. Mm -hmm. And they're very much being judged on like, how well can you execute said t-shirt? It's the technical. It's, yeah. Basically. And then the second one is kind of a bit like the signature challenge from the Bake Off in that they get given some other thing. So like my favourite one they've ever done is where they got given ski suits and they had to make like a child's coat out of the ski suit. (laughs) So it's like an alter, they call it the alteration challenge, but they're not massively bothered by how well executed your thing is in that one. It's more about can you have like a cool idea. And then, as you say, the third challenge is equivalent to the showstopper one in the Bake Off where... They get a chance to prepare it. They know what it's going to be in advance. They've practiced actually making it. And it's generally something big and complicated. And not only are they judged on how well they make the thing, but also they have to fit it to a real live person rather than a mannequin. Mm. So they each have a model who they have to put it on. And the models I love because depending on what the thing is they're doing, sometimes the models are like children or (laughs) massive burly men walking around in their pants. And then my favourite as well is always like in the final episode of each series, they're like, here come your models. And it's like their nieces. Yeah, exactly. It's always like (laughs) their friends or their relations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the models mostly just sit around in the background looking quite bored. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the structure of the show really and they make a whole variety of different things i almost have more favorite garments than i have favorite contestants on the bake-off i always have a favorite contestant yeah of course but in 
in the sewing bee there's always and actually this is reflected in the fact that i own i think two books of the great british sewing bee oh, wow. which have all the patterns from the stuff they make in so you can make them yourself that's really cool so i actually have some clothes that were previously seen on the great british <laughs> sewing bee oh i think my favorite thing from this series is they had to make what's called a, a color block dress from the 60s it's like a mondrian style shift dress but it's got like loads and loads of different parts and you can do them in really bright colors that's and, really fun. Uh, in, so some people did it in like the white, black, red and yellow. Mm-hmm. Mondrian and other people, someone did it in like grayscale, which looked really cool. So yeah, I tend to have more favourite things than, than people. Fe- people. Yeah. I think as well, you get like a very specific genre of person on the sewing bee. So every season, I feel like you get maybe seven women and four men. Yeah. And the, and the women like fall generally into two sort of categories where like the older women are very good at being like yep just gonna get on and do this oh that stitch was a bit shit never mind oh look here's my finished dress it's technically pretty good yeah and then the younger women obviously i'm making big generalizations here but in general the younger women are like i've come up with this fantastic idea using seventy thousand pieces of individual fabric and 17 million sequins and then they like crumble because they've been way too perfectionist and and tried way too hard and they can't finish it but the the judges are always like this was a very very amazing idea but you just didn't execute it quite right and then the men tend to just be like quite sloppy there's (laughs) there's been one exception to that and he stands out i think he was in the third series and i think his name was rob and i think he i don't think he won but he got really far on Mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure he was an engineer he reminded me a lot of my dad this is the one who had like kids Yes, he was he, sort he of middle-aged. And, and he sewed a lot for his kids and yeah. also for his wife and stuff. He was fun. He was really fun, but he his approach was all about utter precision. Mm. So most of their criticisms of him were like, this is very well executed, Rob, but quite boring. <laughs> but he did some stuff like he made an entire corset from scratch and stuff, which is really this. hard because yeah. it's loads of tiny little strips of all different angles that you have to sew together and put bones in and all that kind of thing. So yeah, he was kind of the one exception to the slightly sloppy man rule. I would recommend watching it. I think they're in the semi-final now. Yeah, right? it's very nearly finished. It's on Monday night, it's but hotting up all Ooh. on iPlayer. I would also Hi. like to just shout out to sewing instagram sewing instagram is amazing fuck this sounds cool yes so my favorite account is actually of a former sewing bee contestant called tilly her account is at tilly buttons and from there you'll just find loads and loads of other people i mean tilly buttons tells you everything you need to know about sewing instagram (laughs) she it's so twee but it's really nice and lots and lots of people who sew and people who make patterns and all this kind of thing all like live instagram the sewing bee and it's just a really lovely place adorable mate Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The next thing we're going to talk about is The Essex Serpent, which we mentioned actually just before Anna went on holiday. It's a new novel by Sarah Perry, and it's set in London and Essex in 1893, and it follows the newly widowed Cora Seaborn as she follows her interest in nature, evolution and geology out into the superstitious communities at the edge of the Thames estuary. It's been described as Charles Dickens meets Bram Stoker. Yeah, so I read this off the back of your recommendation. How did you come across it? I follow her on Twitter. Ah. And Is she like a Twitter presence? Yeah, she is. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're like friends, but I'd say we're Twitter acquaintances Mm -hmm. and have been for a couple of years. Nice. I haven't read her first novel, but it was one of those ones where I think it got a lot of critical praise, but it didn't really sell very well, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like bookie people think it's amazing, but it didn't really break through. And then this one has just really, really taken off. So yes, I really like her via her She's young, isn't she? She's very young. She's young. Also, I'm always very appreciative of people who weren't always writers. Mm -hmm. Like she had a terrible job in the city that she quit in order to do a PhD in creative writing that she funded herself. And, you know, so maybe it's bad of me, but I like writing success stories where I feel like the person has really put in the work. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And what she's produced is a really amazing novel, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I was really struck by, and this sounds stupid, but by just how purely readable it was. Mm. Because often when you hear about books that have got a lot of critical acclaim, it can become a bit like, okay gonna sit down and read this it's it's gonna be really good it's gonna be really worth reading whereas this I sort of opened it and immediately you feel like you know the characters that she's talking about at no point was I like oh better make sure I read that for seriously I just loved reading it the entire time I was away it actually produced in me an effect that I haven't had since I read The Paying Guests by Sarah Waters Mm -hmm. last year which is where I ration how many pages I'm allowed to read a day because I don't want it to be over too quickly because I I read very fast naturally and I try not to do it too fast so I can like enjoy it for longer well I sort of did a similar thing because I was on holiday and I was meant to be like doing things with my boyfriend in the city (laughs) so I had to be like I'm just gonna read this like on the trains yeah so I just literally read it like on these trains on these weird journeys across America I mean the first character we meet is Luke Garrett right but Mm. really it's about Cora Seaborn who is the woman that he's in love with and he's been treating her husband and then her husband passed away and she gets her entire life turned upside down. It becomes clear very early on that her marriage has not been a happy one, right? Yeah, and you get more and more details as the story goes on of the kind of... Well, she was definitely in an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. but it was a a kind of twisted, complicated abusive relationship rather than a slightly more straightforward thing, perhaps, in that her husband, Michael, she married him when she was very young, and although she hated him and she hated the things he did to her, she says a number of times I don't really know who I am without him mm-hmm. he he created me in a sense he took me from my father's house and then I was his wife and that is it yeah it's that sort of common but immensely difficult situation of still loving the person who abused you yes exactly so when he dies she's required to put on this kind of Victorian mourning posture mm-hmm. for all of their sort of society London friends but her real friends people like Luke and Charles and Catherine Ambrose and later the people she meets out in Essex 
and Martha, who's her best friend and companion who lives with her, they all know that she's not really sad at all. <laughs> that even though she has complicated feelings about it, overwhelmingly she feels joyful and free. Yeah, so on the back of that, she moves out of that Dickensian Victorian London and into the very countryside at the time, seemingly villagey Essex. And that's where she meets a vicar and his family. And it's also where she encounters the legend, the titular legend of the Essex serpent. And then the book is really not so much about the Essex serpent itself, but about this sort of like tangled web of relationships that begins to form around that legend. Yeah, so everyone who lives in this little village, which is right on the edge of a river called the Blackwater, which feeds straight into the Thames estuary. So it's very kind of muddy and tidal and murky and quite poor, like there's not a lot that you can grow there and stuff. And quite a lot of people in the village work on the sea in some way, like they barge that transport something or they're fishermen or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're very reliant on the water and they have a very close relationship with it. Everyone is obsessed with this kind of historical legend that there's a great primeval beast out in the water that's going to come and get them because everything bad that's happened in the recent past has been blamed on the resurgence of the Essex serpent. Mm. And so they all become afraid of the river that is their life, in a way. And so they all start going to church a lot more and everyone's just really stressed. And there's even an episode that's quite a lot like the effect in a film we talked about previously on the podcast, The Falling, where all the girls in the school, Cora goes to give them a talk about, she's very interested in sort of biology and archaeology, and she goes to give them a talk about this. And they end up on the Essex serpent and they all start laughing hysterically and then falling on the floor. Mm, and it's re really like uncomfortable and dark yeah. rather than like, oh, here are all these teenage girls giggling. No, it's very, very worrying. And, you know, there's a fear that she brought the serpent into the school and it got them in a sort of atmospheric way. Mm hmm. I felt other influences on this book as well. Bluets mm. by Maggie Nelson. Do Have you read that? Yeah. Yeah, where there's a whole episode around a woman who's getting increasingly sick with TB and she becomes obsessed with the colour blue as her illness intensifies. And when I was reading that, I was like, oh, this feels very like it might have been influenced by Bluets. And I think there was a little note in the acknowledgement yeah. saying that that was the case. And also there's a lot of chat in the book about that Korean practice of breaking pots or taking broken pots and gluing them back together with yes. gold lines got mm. of, of sort of, is it metal or glue? I'm not sure, but like this bright gold substance. And there's a really sort of dark line in this book where Cora's husband, when he was alive, used to say that that's what he wanted to do to her. And I think that's something that was certainly I became familiar with that Korean practice from Bluets. And I'm not sure if it was the same for Sarah Perry. Maybe she heard about it elsewhere, but that made me think of it too. But what I was really struck by in this book was just how much it seemed to me to be about friendship, which I just mm. loved. And friendship is basically what keeps everything going, despite all of the like paranoia about the Essex Serpent throughout. Yeah, well, there's two parts that really crystallise that for me. The first is the relationship between Cora and Martha. Mm -hmm. So Martha is her friend and sort of companion in that 19th century sense. And also she looks after Cora's son, Francis, most of the time. And Martha is in love with Cora mm -hmm. in a certain kind of way, in that they have an incredibly close and intimate relationship, which isn't, neither of them really want it to be sexual, it isn't really necessarily going that way or anything, but she just wants to be with her all the time and help her and help her be who she's trying to be. And then later on, when Martha meets someone else that she likes, even loves, and he asks her to marry him, and she just sends him this letter back, laying out very, very calmly all the reasons why she's not marrying anybody because she thinks it's a decaying institution that will rob her of all of her independence. But then at the end she said, rather than have a wife, will you have a comrade? And he just replies saying, I will. 
Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. And then you get the sense that, you know, they live together and they work together. They're both very keen on like social reform and improving housing and stuff and they work together and they're very close, but they don't have to be in love. I feel like all, almost all the sexual relationships or relationships people hope would be sexual are friendships first mm. in this book. So I would say that Martha probably does want a sexual relationship with Cora, mm. but it's a friendship first. And I'd say the same about Luke, who's in love with Cora. He wants it to be a sexual relationship, but it is built on a very strong foundation of friendship. It's the same for all the sort of romantic relationships that we yeah. see emerging throughout and that was just like a really lovely sentiment to me i love that idea yeah it really gives a lie to the kind of love that you often get in films and not quite so often in books where it's just like i saw you and i loved you mm-hmm. the, there was no interim stage there yeah and actually it's really clearly delineated in the relationship between cora and will who's the vicar in the village where she moves in essex and who she strikes up a, a really strong friendship with and they are incredibly close close enough even that there's a little bit of gossip that maybe something is happening. Scandalous is happening because Will is married. Married and a parson kind Mm -hmm. of thing, but not enough that it really bothers anyone. And then there's this one night, I think it's Midsummer's Eve or something, Cora has this big party and Will's daughter is playing the piano and someone says, oh, you guys should dance, you should dance. And he sort of puts his hand on her waist and suddenly everything changes. Mm. He transitions from friendship into desire. And it's really key that that point is articulated yeah that it's not kind of oh well i was friends with you but i kind of also always fancied it's like no i was just your friend (laughs) yeah exactly i'm still your friend but now this extra thing too yeah exactly there's no sort of like easy answers in this book as well it's never just like if you love someone then you'll be together in the end there's just a real sense that like human relationships are complex and they're built on love and different kinds of love and it's okay to feel conflicted about how you feel about people or confused and that I, i just thought it was excellent And that people also aren't unequivocally good or bad. Mm. Because Cora particularly is the central character. She is selfish and dismissive of other people's feelings sometimes. But she's also unbelievably generous and kind. Mm. And both of those sides operate in her relationships as well. Yeah, so we'd thoroughly recommend The Essex Serpent. Go and get a copy and read it because it's just wonderful. And it will grip you, I think. It will grip you. I'm also holding out for the BBC Sunday Night adaptation of it. Massively. Oh, God, I would watch the hell out of that. Who would you see as Will in that role? I don't know. As much as I'm not a massive fan of his, Eddie Redmayne. Oh, really? You don't think he's too young? Oh, yeah, but I'm assuming it's not going to happen for at least five years. Okay, (laughs) fair. Yeah, well, I can't wait. Exciting. So last time I recommended Anna watch The Lady Vanishes in the 2013 BBC adaptation of the original Hitchcock film. Anna, what did you think? This was funny. (laughs) It was like very hammy. I love to see Keely Hawes in anything. She has quite a small role. And what's the guy called from Green Wing? Mac from Green Wing? Oh yeah. He's got a double barreled name. Yeah, it's like something Reese something. I don't know. Um, That guy. He's in it as like a very stern like cheating husband which I have to say did not buy but the central idea of it is basically that there was a woman on the train called Miss Froy this younger woman saw her chatted to her and then she disappears and the more people she tries to inform of this woman's disappearance the more people say that woman was never here you're crazy and it just keeps on escalating and escalating to the point where they're trying to like force feed her drugs and stuff yeah and it's really horrifying and like claustrophobic to watch there's also like 
a sort of weird romance thread (laughs) and like a weird mafia thread it's all like very very complicated and bizarre but it was fun i love like it's basically like a locked room mystery yeah so although it's nothing to do with agatha christie it feels like it might be it's Mm -hmm. a kind of 1930s transcontinental railway journey where yeah basically the whole point is that the lady has vanished but where can she have gone because they're on a train and the train hasn't stopped Mm -hmm. so either the woman is being hidden somewhere on the train or the younger woman never met her in the first place yeah and that the latter is what everyone tries to convince her that actually she's just got sunstroke or is mad there's quite a lot of like i seem to remember like oh you're just hysterical kind of like women's health discrimination type stuff there's loads of that there's also so there's a whole it's like quite implausible because all of these different people are basically lying for different reasons it's Mm. not like there's a train-wide conspiracy yeah so there's for example there's an older woman and her husband who's a parson and she lies and says that her and her husband never saw miss Freud because she's got an an ill son and she thinks if they hold up the train she's not going to make it and her son might die before she gets there and she really doesn't want that to happen this cheating couple this sort of a man and his mistress lie because they don't want to be used as witnesses in any sort of trial because why they were on the train would come out and so you know you know you have all these like fairly implausible reasons about why all these different human beings would all band together and be like i never saw a woman called miss freud did you no certainly not me (laughs) and then there's these two older women that she keeps referring to as like matrons who are on the train who just lie purely because they don't seem to like her which i find like quite (laughs) quite harsh the thing that really got me though in this is that there's like this romantic thread with this like young lad who's like i don't know I don't even know why he's there. He's on his jollies or some shit, but he's on the train. Isn't he like, I can't remember what his profession is, but he's supposed to be like, coming back from a posting abroad or I don't something know. He like seems that. like a yeah. man of means. Yeah, <laughs> He's a nightmare. So there's this whole thread where she, he's one of the few people who, because he basically fancies her, is like, I'll talk to you about this situation. Just try and explain to me why you feel like yeah. persecuted. But he doesn't believe her. And th- this, this romance sort of involves him like running up and down the train with her or like, there's this whole scene where he like comes up with this like lengthy hypothesis about like where the lady is. So basically there's this woman on the train, a baroness, and everyone's afraid of the baroness. And we're pretty sure that the baroness has something to do with Miss Freud's disappearance. And he's like, of course, the baroness's sick sister in the carriage down there. She's not her sister at all. She's Miss Freud. And they're going to get rid of her and say they've sent her to a hospital. And like, he gets really, really excited by it. And then she's like, yes, that's it. And he's like, I was just humouring you and this was just a hypothetical (laughs) answer, of course. And you're like, wait, no, this guy's character changes every two seconds. This is so weird. And then their love story element basically culminates with him being like, I'm going to drug her with a soup. I'm going to put like a drugging thing in this soup and then like cuddle her on the train and like it'll all be so much better for her and it'll be for her own good. And then at the end, they're like kissing and you're like, you shouldn't forgive this guy for basically like date raping you. you. (laughs) It's like terrible. Um, So yeah, a a whole lot of thoughts (laughs) from The Lady Vanishes, but a very entertaining hour and a half. If Mm. one of those entertaining hour and a half where you're sort of slightly screaming at the telly a bit like with Downton Abbey. Definitely. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, What have you got for me for next time? So next time, I thought I'd recommend to you a book called The Silent Woman, and it's by Janet Malcolm. And it's quite hard for me to explain. I don't know quite how to categorize it. Um, And it's about Sylvia Plath and about her death and about how people have tried to sort of 
narrate her life since she died mm-hmm. and how people have tried to navigate. There was a sort of quite high profile controversy surrounding her estate, which became part of the Hughes estate. Firstly, Ted Hughes and his wife Carol were very, very protective of basically like which parts of her diaries could be quoted that kind of thing and then ted hughes's sister became like the person in charge of the estate and she was even more controlling about it and it's just this like weird book where she goes and speaks to lots of different people so like biographers of plath or she goes and speaks to olwyn hughes ted hughes's sister and tries to find out basically what's going on but it's also full of her own like personal biases and it's really weird and tangled and a fun but crazy read and i think you'll like it i can't wait Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.